Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grown. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. My name is Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team. And this week, we were joined by Megan Taylor. Megan's work is in helping people to notice, think, and act differently. She's a managing director at Rise Beyond, a collaboration consultancy working to enable better collaboration to address the complex challenges we all face in our organizations and beyond. Rise work alongside organizations from various sectors, as well as supporting private and social sector leaders through their programs and initiatives. And Megan actually started her career as a professional dancer, choreographing and performing around the world and establishing a learning community for dancers to support their professional and personal development. Aside from her work at RISE, she is a founder of Move the World, a skills and education charity based in Ghana, and an angel investor and people advisor to startups in technology, consumer products, and the arts. She has a master's in people and organizational development, and she's a certified coach. Let's talk, Megan, about the transition to leadership. So give us a bit of background to your journey, please, at Rise Beyond. What's it been like? Where did you start? What have you done? Where are you now? Yeah. So when I tell people this, they're always like, how on earth did you get here? Because my first career, or I started my career as a professional dancer, so ballet contemporary. I left a very academic school to go study ballet. That took me off to kind of New York, to London as a freelance contemporary dancer. And I did that for five, six years and loved it and also was faced with the challenges of that industry and, you know, the different pressures and trials and tribulations that can come from that world. And some of the things that I was really drawn to or attracted to in the dance industry are actually the things that I find myself still doing today. So for me, there's loads of kind of threads, but of course, from a story point of view, it can sound a bit completely different world than I'm in. So when I was in the dance industry, I got really interested in the concept of community and learning communities and really felt like the dance industry, which was fairly disconnected, kind of predominantly young women that were trying to struggle and kind of succeed in this quite hard world, didn't have many spaces to come together and actually share their experiences, feel supported and connected in a way that wasn't competition, which was often the environment that you were in. So I trained as a coach when I was a dancer and kind of used my, I think, what was quite natural facilitation skills to bring people together and host conversations and suggest that we kind of put programs together for professional and personal development to create a more supportive or inclusive environment for dancers. And that was kind of my laboratory, really, for testing all of the things that I'm now doing in a different world today. So I loved it and actually found myself doing more and more of that work than the actual dancing. And in parallel, my dad had finished his business career and was really interested in taking his expertise in learning and starting a consultancy, which was called Rise Beyond. And so, of course, for a couple of years, I suspected that he was watching what I was doing and seeing some similarities. And then one day we were on a train together. He said, you know, come and shadow, you know, some of the work that I'm doing with our clients. You'll see that there's some similarities. And of course, I was like, it's completely different. I'm never going to end up working with him. But sure, let me come and have a look. Anyway, eight years later, here I am today. <laughs> it was a slow transition to begin with. And then actually, I just really loved that my skill set was clearly applicable to different sectors and was encouraged to kind of step out and explore it. That is the ideal story, I guess, in terms of how skills are the things which are transferable from yeah. one industry 
one community that's very different to the community that you've transitioned over and into. So when you, let's start from that point when you thought, actually, yeah, I can see it. What was that like? I mean, were you kind of holding on to that? Okay, so the things that I did over here with the ballet community, with the dancers, with the young girls, did you kind of mentally think this applies? (laughs) I I wish it was like a super clear moment of clarity. (laughs) It wasn't. It was a kind of year battle, a couple of year battle with myself. I do think 100% had a major identity crisis for quite a while because I had been Megan the dancer since I was four years old, right? At every family party and every social situation, I was Megan the dancer. So when I started like 25, 26 to be stepping into these other kind of environments, A, in the environments, I didn't know how to introduce myself because how will they take me seriously? I thought if I say that I'm a dancer, you know, why would these people on these exec teams like pay me any attention already I'm a 25 26 year old woman which is a you know already was a difference and then to kind of come from a probably more alternative background added to that difference Mm. so I hid it actually you know quite a while I tried to kind of keep it to a side or kind of saw it as separate to and you know was really desperate to try and kind of get expertise and capability that I'd be taken seriously in this kind of new more corporate world Mm. and then I went to study my master's program and Actually, just that process of studying, which was a self-managed learning program, was just a real opportunity for me to kind of integrate all those different parts of myself. And it felt like quite a healing moment, if you want to use that word. But Hmm. I was like, God, that's my power. My power is in my difference. My power is in the fact that I am a young woman stepping into these spaces and helping people to have different types of conversations. I'm not a typical 56-year-old white man going into a boardroom. And so... I actually started to get quite a lot of confidence from perhaps the skills that I had learned in the dance industry and kind of how I could bring them into this work. And yeah, that was super important, like integrating of those different worlds. But it was not an easy transition. No, I bet it wasn't. I still can't quite quite get my head around it. But it's interesting that bit around your learning, your self-development. And I guess in that environment, there's a good opportunity for your own self-reflection as well, rather than being, I suppose, in it 100 miles an hour, going from office to office, you know, shadowing your dad and all the rest of it. And just like, it comes back to, I suppose, that controlling is the wrong word, but at least being aware of the dynamics in the room. And as you say, you can't really avoid it. You know, in corporates, predominantly male, predominantly middle-aged and predominantly quite kind of privileged. So that's a challenging environment, you know, right from the kind of outset, I suppose. But what did you do? How did you kind of handle those situations when you knew the dynamic was going to be tricky? I mean, what kind of preparation, were there any kind of techniques or strategies? I mean, probably there's many stories where I probably didn't do it well enough. And 100%, I was like, had various emotional responses to things that people have said to me, or I've gone back to my room at night and cried, you know, all of that stuff's happened. (laughs) But I would say that when I feel most resourced or best able to respond or most present with a group with the kind of conversations that we're helping them to have, is that doing the work on ourselves, right, is making sure that I've got the reflective spaces, the slower time, you know, if I... I often, particularly if we're on site with a client or running a retreat and it's got some kind of tricky topics, getting out for a run in the morning, getting outside, you know, switching off, not getting consumed by the other things that might be going on in my family life or other clients. I think really trying to kind of be present and practice presence feels really important. And then also just letting go or kind of being less attached to outcomes. And that's been a massive journey for me of which, again, it's not finished, but, you know, 
having an idea of where you'd like to get a group to or the place that you would like to get them to. And also knowing that in a conversation, it can go loads of ways and actually trusting that the way it goes is the way it's supposed to go. And that it will unravel something or kind of help a group to see something that it feels really important. And so letting go and kind of allowing what happens to happen, I think has been hugely important. And when I do that well, I feel like I'm doing my work the best that I can mm-hmm. do it. Yeah. And that confidence that it yeah. gives you, as you say, that I guess it kind of removes to a degree the imposter syndrome. Because I think, mm-hmm. you know, I imagine and certainly in the early days, as you say. Oh, I used to have, have my agendas printed out. You know, yeah. I would, there would be a check-in activity for 20 minutes and then mm-hmm. da 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 you know, it was all, and some facilitators do work really well like that and they're good at it. And yet, I think particularly the nature of the work that we're doing, when you're bound by an agenda or you've got, you know, you're so attached to kind of making what you thought should happen, happen, you Mm -hmm. actually miss what's really happening in the room. And so over those years, I've just, I never have an agenda. I mean, I tell a client I have an agenda because they would freak out if I didn't have one. But quite a lot of our colleagues and I, we have an idea of what we'd like to bring, but actually our skill set is sensing into what's needed. And so really listening and really kind of probing and kind of holding a group to have a quality conversation, that takes such energy. And that can't be done with a technology. That can't be done with a process or a procedure that requires someone super skillful to actually listen and support and kind of enable something to kind of emerge. Yeah. And through that interaction, you gain the trust of the people in the room. They can see... Forgive me, I've got an absolutely awful football analogy, which I'm about to rule out now. (laughs) My dad always brings a good sports analogy. Oh, good. Oh, good. Good, 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 good. Good, good. (laughs) Excellent. Okay, so it involves Paul Gascoigne. And there was an interview that he did about when he goes on one of his mazy runs and scores a goal. And they said, how do you do it? And his method was that he said he doesn't adhere to a specific plan because he needs to be in the moment. He needs to know to duck one way or duck the other way, depending on what the defenders are doing and things like this. So he said it's so important for him to be receptive to being in the moment of what's happening right there and then as opposed to get your head down run in that direction and run in that direction and i think it says a lot i hope <laughs> as we say if you're focused too much on a specific agenda or going in a particular direction of travel you perhaps are missing the key cues in the room from the people and if they are like can you not tell that we're trying to go this way then you lose that trust you lose that and obviously it's worked because now MD and how many people are in Rise Beyond now? How many, yeah, how so many we run as a consultant community. So our actual employees is really just the operation team. We're just five employees. And then we're a consultancy community of around, I think at the moment we're about 18, maybe 20 consultants, mostly in the UK, some in Europe. And over the years, that's ebbed and flowed in terms of work that we've had available and what's kind of coming. But we try to operate as a community of practice, which is quite an involved way of having our consultants kind of learning and exploring the work that we're doing together with that whole concept of if we're not doing the work on ourselves how on earth can we kind of give to our clients what we want to be able to give to them so yeah some people that run other consultancies look at me and they're like are you nuts you require so much from your consultants like how is that efficient or a good use of people's time and money and I'm like yeah but there's a quality that feels really important to that that for us is really important and to not lose I just want to take a quick minute to say thanks to our trusted partners, Crystal Hosting. Crystal is a B Corp powered by 100% renewable energy and has a goal of planting 1 billion trees by 2030. Crystal service is super fast and super reliable and they're genuinely really nice people. We're super picky over who we work with as partners at Beautiful Business and we're delighted to count Crystal as one of them. Back to the podcast. Yeah, indeed. And again, it's that the experience, it's your reputation yeah. and all the good things kind of flow from that level yeah. of engagement with your team. So talk to us about 
the transit because you know you're now the md yeah so you kind of stepped in when your dad stepped away talk us through that kind okay. of process because that must have come with its own challenges oh 100 yeah i think again the process had been in play for a while i think there was like always the idea that probably at some point he would want to retire or slow down i doubt he'll ever fully retire but slow down and kind of step away and that because i was super engaged in the business and kind of had been part of that exec team for a while that probably i was going to be one of the people that would kind of take the business forward so it didn't come as a surprise, I don't think, to anybody. And yet, you know, about a year ago, I had just gotten back from two back-to-back maternity leaves, which, of course, added pressure to the business in terms of, well, in some ways, it added pressure. And I think in other ways, it was a hugely important thing to happen because it forced the business to figure out how to run without me. And I had been kind of the operations, I guess, of the business up until that point. So I think in some ways, actually, it helped the transition was like creating space for others to step in. And then, of course, COVID also for everybody. But I think everybody kind of asked the big questions of like, what do I want out of my life? Like, what's important? What really gives me energy? And I think for my dad, it made him really think through, you know, my mum had just retired from being an anaesthetist for 25 years. And he was wanting to spend more time with her and do the things that they loved together and was kind of starting to resent the weight and the responsibility of running a business and trying to grow and scale a business and was kind of ready, I think, to not have that relentlessness in his Mm. day-to-day. So that was becoming clearer to him. And then similarly, when I came back from my second maternity leave, I was also asking questions like, oh, okay, I've done eight years at Rise. Should I not go back to work straight away? Should I focus on the kids? Has that been a really good experience? And now I'm ready to start something new. You know, there was lots of questions for me about what do I want to commit this next chapter of my professional career to? And we just had a chat about it. I think it was gosh, last June or something. And he shared his needs and his wants for the next few years. I shared mine. And it kind of felt... And so he basically told me, go away and think about it. I don't want you to feel pressured or pushed into taking over or leading Rise. If you want to do something else, you should do something else. And so that felt super supportive. (laughs) And I went away and I thought about it. And I came back and I was like, no, I really love what we're doing. I think it really makes a difference. I think it can make even more of a difference as we expand into new areas. And we've got amazing people involved and there's something here that feels quite special. And I really wanted to see if I could do something with that. So that was my committing myself to it was a process I had to go through to kind of make sure that I wasn't just found myself here and actually had never asked to be here. Mm. I definitely looked at that. And then of course, yeah, the process since then has been obviously formalizing it with roles and reestablishing our new leadership team and you know, my dad almost being out really of the kind of day-to-day discussions about what we're doing and where we're going. So yeah, it's been quite a year. Yeah, I bet. A beautiful business. We've got an audience of business leaders, organizational leaders. And because of the nature of the size of these organizations, there are often leadership teams that aren't founders. So they're MDs like yourselves that have been brought in from within. And in slightly less close quarters, I suppose, they're going through or have gone through very similar journeys to yourself. And, And in many ways, I think those that are promoted from within an organization face quite unique kind of challenges, yeah. you know, in terms of the change of dynamic of the relationships with the people yeah. that you work with. It sounds like things have gone really well with you at Rise. There's probably loads of examples out there of where it doesn't go so well. Yeah. What do you think you did or how did you handle those kind of inter-team relationships? How was it for you with that shift? Yeah, don't get me wrong. There's definitely been moments of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is not going very well at all. I think if you asked a consultant that worked with us a few years ago to come back and experience who we are today, I think they'd say we're a very different business. You know, we were run by three men and a woman four or five years ago, and now we're run by four women. You know, it's even just that kind of female energy in terms of the leadership has completely transformed the business. Hmm. 
And we have different aspirations for the business. So I think a huge part of it is when you're a new MD or a new leadership team coming in, there's a want to like reinvent and also respect what's been. And so particularly when it's my dad founded it, right? So I've got a huge amount of like wanting to do him justice and his, you know, want for a legacy justice. And yet I also want to do it in my way and create an organization that feels fit for the needs of organizations and communities today. And that isn't necessarily how we were approaching things five, six, seven, eight years ago. So reinventing within an already established business is really hard. And we had some really tough and honest conversations about how do we want to lead this business? Do we want to just keep running it in the same way that we've been running it? Or do we need it to be different? And, you know, quite a lot of us are mums. We have different projects that we're also involved in outside of Rise. And it felt really important to be really honest about what that would take from us. And we didn't want to be running and scaling a business that was going to be at the detriment to our marriages, our families, our other endeavors. And so, you know, flexibility and space and connection and trust felt really important to kind of put the core of how we work together, trusting that other bits will come. You know, we will grow, we will scale. We think what we're doing has an impact and therefore surely more people, you know, want our support. But we don't feel like we need to have the same push energy that perhaps might have a more masculine, I guess, yeah. approach yeah, yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, no, and yeah, I'm not 100%. talking about masculine and feminine, like men and women. I think you can have a mix of that in both genders. Yeah, I think that's been a really conscious conversation for us is leading differently. Yeah, and it's such a sensitive piece. And again, taking the father-daughter relationship out of it for just a moment. But even, as you say, the legacy piece is a really big thing. Did you chat with your dad about that, about the changes that you want to kind of bring through? And he was, well, he must have been supportive of it. And I guess, again, for listeners who might be going through a similar sort of journey, it sounds like it's such an important thing to get is that shared vision, the alignment, the goals. And also there's an acceptance, I suppose, from the outgoing. Yeah, there will be a bit of a reinvention. There will be, you know, the butterfly emerging from the chrysalis yeah it is an opportunity i think you know that perhaps there are things that need to be changed other things that you could change and there's also things that you want to keep the same but it's having that as you say having that discussion openly transparently yeah i think particularly for a founder letting go could be really hard right because it's your baby i mean it was interesting because as i was stepping into this role in rise i was exiting a charity that i had founded i was running on the side and you know i had founded it 10 years ago it had grown it had evolved and i had made the decision that if i was going to step into the md role at rise and also be present for my kids i probably also couldn't be continue being kind of chair of trustees for this charity and so i made the decision to leave and that was really hard actually it was kind of it was like letting go of my baby and knowing that mm. it probably was going to shift, evolve, that I couldn't like protect it anymore. And but it also felt 100% the right decision. And so I do wonder if perhaps me going through that process myself made me have a bit more compassion for what mm. my dad might potentially be going through. He honestly is like the best gift is the fact that my daughter wants to continue this thing that we've done together. And, you know, I've been there for the most part of the whole existence of the business. So uh, in some ways, we've kind of been running it together for quite a long time. But he's like elated that I would be, be up for taking this forward. Yeah, that's lovely. You know, there's some people I've spoken to who've stepped into the MD role, promote from within. Some of the transitions have been super smooth, and they've been empowered to bring about this change. Yeah. And it's like a, a leap forward in things. It's just an interesting way that you can use that dynamic in a really positive yeah. and really constructive kind of way. So and how, it can be very destructive. <laughs> it can be. Yeah, well, this yeah. is it, and this yeah. is it. And you see these kind of the succession 
planning where it goes horribly wrong, where the predecessor isn't ready to let go and it just goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. But it sounds like... Going in the right direction, I think. Yeah, well, no, indeed. <laughs> what so... is right, I guess. But yeah, it feels like we're going in a good direction. Good. Well, that's what it's about. And for you personally, what's it been like? How's it shifted from the kind of operations-led kind of role that you yeah. had before you went on that leave through to this kind of leadership role? So the people challenges, yeah, business Gosh. development, you know, all these things that kind of come onto you, the decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. So I certainly, I mean, I remember what stopping my dad at the end of the year or the beginning of the year being like, oh, leadership's hard. <laughs> Because there was like various people issues that were coming to the forefront. And I like felt like, oh my God, I can't move this over to someone else anymore. Like this is on me to explore and work through. And yeah, it gave me a huge amount of compassion for perhaps what he had held, but also for, you know, the leaders that we work with and our clients. I think I'm getting a much more real feel for their day-to-day reality, albeit we're a very small business. So there's a weight of responsibility to employees, to making sure that we're still alive next year, that probably was more shared or more on his chest last year. Yeah, I feel that kind of pull to need to keep things moving, keep things going. And I also think there's been a massive learning curve around just admitting to myself that I can't do it all. You know, I've been someone that has grown up in huge privilege and have been a hugely capable person and has often thought that I could do it all, right? And becoming a mum and taking on this role kind of in short succession has definitely been quite confronting at times where I'm like, oh God, like something's got to give here. And obviously deciding to exit the charity was something that was a clear decision, but also just within the responsibilities I have in the business, I can't run the business anymore. I need to represent the business. I need to grow and support the brand. And I want to do the client work. And so we recently just hired a head of operations to kind of offload quite a big chunk of what I've typically done for the business. And I'm she's way better than me. So I'm like, it's been delightful. I'm like, ah, oh, this is great. Like hiring people that are better than you. This has always been something I'm like, this is really important to do. And I think I'm learning a lot in terms of, yeah, hiring smarter, better people than than me. So true. Yeah. So true. They talk about you become an average of the people around you. So you want to, you want to get people better. Your average. Exactly. Exactly that. And it sounds such a familiar journey where this kind of acceptance where you can't do everything as a business leader. And then almost, again, very kind of personally speaking, I kind of went through that as well. It's almost like a relief. It's like a weight is lifted off you, isn't it? It's kind of like, oh, it's okay. It's all right. It's all right to be a bit rubbish at this because you've got somebody who's way better. It's almost cathartic in many ways where you can kind of look at the world through a different lens in many ways. Yeah. And I think being really clear on what you don't want it to be, you know, I've seen, God, because we get such privileged exposure into clients and people tell us their, you know, deepest, darkest stuff. I feel like I have a wealth of stories of what not to be like (laughs) or what not to be. And you can see how easy it is to slip into some of those more reactive places. And of course I am reactive at times, but you know, I just think when I catch myself in those days, I'm like, this is not how I want to be. And what needs to shift in order to create more space for me to bring what I can bring best and yeah, I think I'm super appreciative of all of the exposure that I've had to, you know, amazing business leaders around the world and kind of the ability to learn from them and put in the good bits into kind of my aspirations for how I'd like to be as a leader and as a contributor to hopefully making some form of useful impact on this planet. I'm sure you will and you have done. <laughs> I wanted just to wrap up just by covering perhaps one of the key topics of our time, really, and that is your reflections on the wider challenges of having a leadership team of 
yeah. women. You mentioned there's four transitioning from yeah. previously where you had three blokes and, and a woman. You know, you spoke a little bit earlier about imposter syndrome, being a young woman in a predominantly male-dominated kind of environment, four women in still a predominantly male-dominated yeah. environment. How do you handle that? Do you find that it's actually advantageous in ways? I imagine there can be ways. And also, when we very first spoke, you talked about this concept of owning the future. I'd love to hear a bit more about what you mean when you say that. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's becoming more and more advantageous. You know, it stands us out. You know, when people go on our website and see that it's led by women, I think that that is different to, you know, what a more traditional consultancy might be. And yet, it's not to say that we don't like men. Men are amazingly (laughs) skillful at our work and we have men in our consultancy that we definitely draw on. So we definitely don't have an issue with men. But I think that there's the imposter syndrome is real, right? All of us have it. I mean, even the most senior men CEOs that I've met, when I've actually got them in the room one-on-one, you realize, God, this person is, doesn't think they belong here. And all of their not so useful behaviors are as a result of that. And so I think all of us have it in various forms. And I think what we like to hope that we're doing is create space so we can share more honestly some of our imposter syndromes. And the four of us come from very different backgrounds. I mean, I'm a dance background. One of them is a somatic psychotherapist. You know, we've got such different experiences and backgrounds that it's really important to rather than not be molds of each other, but actually own our difference and kind of bring our skillfulness into the group. And then where we've got a deficiency, like we're in operations, for example, we hire someone that can come and do it and do it well, rather than us collectively trying to kind of cover the bases. I mean, that wasn't working. So yeah, I think... You know, if you think about the future of business, I think it's changing. It has changed hugely just in the time that I've been working at Rise. And I think the future is going to become more and more embracing and supportive of people of difference, whether that's gender, colour, race, you know, all of those things. And I hope that consultancies that are supporting people in those places are also representative of the areas that they're trying to support businesses in. And so don't get me wrong, we've got loads that we can improve on as well in terms of our diversity and kind of ways that we're working and things that we're thinking about. But I think it feels good that we're moving with the times and maybe marginally ahead of the times, perhaps. And I think that there's some really interesting conversations that are going to be more and more required in small organisations and big organisations that you know, the time is coming. You know, It's bubbling under the surface. We're seeing it spilling out everywhere. And our work is like ripe for that. You know, our work is supporting people to have those more challenging conversations about the system that we live and work in that perhaps isn't fit for purpose anymore. So hopefully we can do that and do that well. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. And a massive thank you to Megan Taylor from Rise Beyond for sharing her stories, her advice and her insights. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.